You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 124. We double-checked this time. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And uh, I think we... I just wanted to mention... We, we actually have quite a bit of follow-up, but I just really quickly wanted to mention the LinkedIn thing that we kind of, like, douchily joked about last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really do now wonder, like, in in the light of the, the past week, if they did kind of do it under cloak of WWDC because there were jokes about like, oh, Clippy and LinkedIn now, ha, ha, ha. But <laughs> I really saw very little serious discussion and not even like a lot of mocking. It was just like near radio silence, which is maybe what they were actually after. Like I thought I was kidding when I said that, but maybe they they weren't. Uh, well, if you want to see the other take, the super positive, this was um, go to Ben Thompson's blog. I read him all the time. He's a very smart dude. And he was summing up Microsoft's announcement and Apple's WWDC. And he actually saw the LinkedIn purchase as making a ton of sense, being an incredibly good move and being more bold and interesting than anything Apple did at WWDC. He was like, WWDC had a lot of good upgrades, a lot of nice features, and it's exactly what Apple's always been doing. And it's whatever. He's, he was kind of down on that. He wasn't down, but he was just like, all right, great. Um, and so if you want that, that serious take, um, it, it wasn't, hey, they're, they're, they're trying to say their bad quarterly results go out on Friday afternoon so the news cycle doesn't <laughs> spend the whole week on it. Like, to the contrary, they were so bold and excited about this. They thought, hey, we can drop this on WWDC Day. Um, uh, I'm, I, I love that reading. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to definitely thumb through this because I love the idea of not just like oh yeah we did this and it's cool but like we did this and it's cooler than anything they're about to do <laughs> like that's that would be yeah. an interesting uh, angle for Microsoft. I mean, most of my snark just comes from the fact that I really don't like LinkedIn as a thing, and so that's very different than saying that for it's a bad business move. Um, <laughs> it could be a great business move. And apparently there are some good reasons to think it is a great business move. I just really don't like LinkedIn. So it makes yeah, me want to be snarky. That, that's fair. LinkedIn is terrible. But uh, your mom tried VR. Yeah. And that's not a joke. She actually did. <laughs> uh, my mom's in town this week and um, I got my first Google Cardboard. So I Noticed that Google had a sale and it was only ten bucks instead of fifteen bucks to get you know the basic Google Cardboard. Um, I also read that it works on iPhone. They actually released an official Google Cardboard app for iPhone, um, and there's some other VR apps you can find like roller coasters and walk on the moon kind of thing. Um, so that was really cool to get in the mail today, which I think you got yours as well. <laughs> I did, and our mail gets delivered kind of late, so I didn't get to play with it too much. Yeah. And, you know, having already tried the Vive and the Oculus, going to the cardboard was like, huh. <laughs> it, it's baby's first VR. It's, yeah. It's, I, I think I described it to you as an advertisement for more expensive real VR. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's fine. And it's like a glorified Viewmaster 3D, but, you know, software run. Um, and it's not the cardboard's fault that, you know, an iPhone is not a great VR screen. Um, the retina screen really ain't so retina when you're you're one inch away from it. <laughs> yeah, and it's being split in half, and it's probably not even operating at maximum res so that it can be smooth and yeah. So I did the roller coaster one, and it was kind of nauseating. And I mean, there was that that mind body like disconnect of like. I'm going through a crazy roller coaster and my body feels nothing. And um, <laughs> like, it was sort of like I didn't get sick. Like I, I wasn't feeling it like super bad, but it was a little bit of my brain going, "What's what's happening? Why are you doing this?" And uh, 
but I think part of that was because the graphics were so bad. So anyway, to to get to the mom tries VR part of the story. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I was like, hey, check this out, mom. Google Cardboard and Shelby, try it out. And uh, then I was like, you know, Best Buy has like the super fancy, crazy, cool one. Would you guys be interested in trying that? And my mom is adventurous and awesome. And she was like, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And, you know, we, we were going to go to Jamba Juice anyway, but it was kind of like... My mom is willing to just go out to try VR, and that's cool. That is, um, that's a cool mom. <laughs> and so we we go, and the Oculus demo is uh, it's not at every Best Buy because we tried to go and we tried the Vive for that episode, and sadly, all they had was the Gear VR playing a video loop, um, which, which honestly was not that much better than the Google Cardboard. So yeah, it kind of <laughs> made me like. Yeah, now that I think about it, it's like, eh, I'm either going to get real VR or I'm just going to... That's why cardboard... Like, I can't fault Google Cardboard. It's like a $10 piece of cardboard and two <laughs> lenses. And all of its faults are really the device you put in it. So. <laughs> um, but So my mom tried VR and she thought it was cool. She was she was very interested. She was... Cause there's like all these different scenes where you're like on alien planets in the, the VR one and there's this T-Rex that runs up and like roars in your face and it looks like it's spitting on you and stuff. Did you warn her against doing the rock climbing one? Yeah, she did the other one, which they they way oversell. The demo guy has a clear script because he said the exact same thing this time that he said to me. is like, <laughs> you're a scientist exploring a... a strange and alien planet and it's like no i'm standing and there's a couple like cartoon characters in front of me i'm not a scientist i I got that exact impression when we did the the htc vive because you were standing next to me when the woman explained how i was going to use the vive and then like word for word gave you the same set of instructions (laughs) i was just like he he was right here he's didn't you see him he's a giant yeah so I, I know I tried to ask my mom afterwards, like, did you think it was cool? Could you imagine wanting to use it for anything? And I think the main use case that makes any sense would be something like, hey, I'm going to go travel to Europe, and I'd love to go through the streets of Paris ahead of time to, in VR to decide where I want to go in real life. And, you know, maybe that cool landmark isn't really that cool, and it's not worth taking <laughs> half the day to get there when there's other cool things I could do. So sort of a Google Street View on steroids, like when it becomes like insanely realistic, could be a really neat, practical person VR reason. And I can imagine the, I mean, since we're talking about moms, like I can imagine taking like a, a 3D or not 3D, a, a 360 degree photograph, or if you are fancy, a 360 degree video of like your your new office or your new house or your redecorated room or something and sending that to, you know, your parents or family or your siblings or whatever. And then they just have their $10 cardboard laying around and they just toss their phone in there and then they can like, you know, look around as if they were in the space. Like that's that's a very silly kind of edge case use, but ten dollars, and yeah. it's and it's not like I'm I'm being very first worldy here and like not including the cost of the phone, but you already have the phone. I think yeah. it's reasonable to say anyone who's listening to the show probably already owns a smartphone or at least has access to one. So it's to say that you know <laughs> Google Cardboard is VR for ten dollars is still feels appropriate, right? Because there's nothing else you need. Yeah. And the apps are all free. And annoyingly, though, one of the roller coaster ones was showing banner ads. Oh. <laughs> like, like if banner ads are annoying in any way in VR, you're like, it's just this big, like, you're not really here sign. <laughs> it makes me think of that episode of Futurama where they like go into the internet and there's like actual like <laughs> windows, giant windows like appear in front of them. <laughs> But th- so I will say my one complaint about the the Google Cardboard because I mean the low res stuff like that's all true but I can kind of suspend disbelief but the the thing that bothered me is just like I mentioned with the Wii uh, if you're pointing the Wii mode at the screen the the finger is like freaking out like it it looks like you have terrible tremors or you're in the middle of an earthquake and that's how I felt using the Google Cardboard like unless I stood 
and held my arms in such a way that they were like reinforced against my rib cage, you could see like a slight shake because nobody's hand is perfectly steady. Yeah. And that, that was actually the part that I found most uh, disorienting because the, the vibe and I don't, you'll have to tell me about the Oculus, but the vibe seemed to have compensated for that. Like, I know I don't hold my head perfectly still, but I yeah. don't remember the vibe being all like Twitch vision. Well, I think the those just strapped to your head better too, and let alone they have separate cameras tracking you to also orient you. That's and true. I, I think it's just yeah, it's way more precise because they can because they spent technology making it more precise. <laughs> Maybe I'll tie like an elastic to the cardboard and <laughs> fasten it into my head. Um, the last thing I wanted to to follow up with you on is this this differential privacy thing from WWDC, which was almost overshadowed by the LinkedIn acquisition, uh, <laughs> which is um, there's a, a great blog post, which we link to that's in the show notes, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash one, two, four for this episode uh, that kind of explains how differential privacy works. And uh, this is not a new idea. Apple did not invent this. They're just using like a brand name for it to capitalize on it and that's you know you said the same thing last week and and about the retina screen right they didn't invent that they just like co-opted it <laughs> uh, but the idea here is basically the more private it is like the 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 way you you make this differential privacy works is by like adding noise to the data set and the more private it is the less reliable anything it tells you back like when you query yeah. that data is and the more accurate it is the less private it is so that's that's like the obvious on the face downside and then when you add in the stuff about like oh well it's it's all happening on the device so now you have these like mass computing problems and and battery issues and network connectivity issues i keep hearing more reasons why apple is not going to be able to technologically deliver on this than reasons that they are so I've got more of an open mind about it. I mean, I, I feel like no one has really tried to do this at the scale Apple's going to be doing it. And it's, I mean, no one's single iPhone is trying to do everyone's photos. Um, and I, there is a, the talk show just had their big show with Phil Schiller and Craig Federighi, and they addressed this directly on it too. And um, he says, like, it turns out GPUs are really good at image processing. And so <laughs> some of some of the I mean, not not everything they announced about the machine learning was image based. But the the is that a mountain? Is that a horse kind of thing um, is image <laughs> is, processing. <laughs> is this tire your mom? <laughs> yeah. basically. Um, and so that, you know, he was just like, it turns out, you know, GPUs can do this really well. And um that that particular thing and um that you know it wouldn't be doing it unless you're plugged in um so at night and i think sort of some of the things same things came up that we talked about last episode about like yeah maybe your whole library processing would take a while but one new photo you took today is nothing and so it's sort of the the upkeep is low even if hey i'm gonna port my 50 terabyte library would be a bad move um <laughs> But I don't know, it's a different approach and it sort of remains to be seen if they can do it. But the privacy thing is very interesting to me, enough that I, you know, ranted through a blog post about it. And my main thing is like, I'm excited to see if we can have other business models without sacrificing features or, um, or quality of features. And it's not like, hey, everything ad supported is evil. I don't think that. Um, but it's more like, hey, can we have some things that sometimes aren't ad-supported? <laughs> and uh, I think the interesting thing is companies have been telling us for a long time, hey, don't worry, we anonymize the data. And I think we're, we're sort of realizing in, in the academic science side that anonymizing data isn't necessarily enough. Um, Especially you, not when you have a large set, because then yeah. you have tons of reference points that you could say like, oh, this is... 
you know, obviously if you're talking about the two hosts of the show, you're like, yeah, like kind of a beard and, you know, white guy. And it's like, well, that's not enough. One of them's yeah. over six feet tall. Oh, you mean Mike. Like suddenly yeah. you, you have enough information to figure it out. Or it's like, we, I don't know your name, but I know where you go every single night. And I know Monday through Friday where you go every morning. <laughs> okay. I know where you live and work. And I, it's not hard to figure out your name once I know those things. Right. <laughs> Um, and that, I mean, that's a like a weird anecdotal version of basically why anonymous may not be enough uh, if you care about privacy. And it's sort of, I don't know, my the way I view it is sort of like we've been hearing lots of rhetoric from companies that make their living off of harvesting data. And I really don't want to color that as positive or negative. That's just the fact. We've been living in with that rhetoric in the tech world forever. It's give us your data, give us your data, and therefore we can make good things for you. And I think, you know, whether or not Apple's thing works, whether it's as good, whether the market cares about privacy at all, we we it sort of remains to be seen. Um, I'm excited at the chance that we can question those assum- assumptions. And there are some technological reasons to at least say, hey, this is going to be a lot harder to do uh, without direct access to unnoise data. Um, but is that, is that a fact or is it just sort of convenient because of the business models that are in place? I mean, it's definitely convenient. (laughs) Whether or not it's a fact remains to be seen, but it's super convenient. I do wonder if there will ever be changes to the laws that will make us feel more comfortable. Like if if I didn't know as a consumer, so not me personally, because I don't seem to care, but if as a consumer – I knew that you know once Google had my data, it was completely encrypted and completely inaccessible to like law enforcement and governments. Then that would make me feel, assuming they somehow had like some magical way to then still run magic against it, <laughs> then that would that would change the discussion a little bit because I'm not against them using my data to make their technology better. I think what most privacy people are really afraid of is then being exposed in some way or having it used against them in some way. And just as I'm interested to see if Apple can actually do this kind of on-device processing, I'm also curious, is there a way to basically access something you can't access? Like, can Google do some kind of security wizardry that allows them to get the data they need to inform the algorithms without knowing like where it came from or who you are or being able to hand it over to someone else in any usable way like that would yeah. be another interesting way to attack this well it's so yeah it's it's I'll, there's a lot of mirrors to the encryption stuff of like hey instead of trusting the government not to abuse this data you just don't get this data and it's kind of the same for like the privacy side of like hey we want to know like apple's example is like you know there's a new slang word and we want to stop auto correcting it cuz people are getting angry that our keyboards keep <laughs> correcting it but we don't want to know what any particular person is saying we don't want to keylog them or whatever and so that's the way they're going to get at this feature is this, this differential privacy. Um, but it, it really is, you know, to not belabor this topic too long, because we also talked about it last week, um, <laughs> is that it's, it's not an on-off switch. It's not, ha-ha, we magically get all the data we want and no one's privacy is invaded. It's, it's a spectrum. It's, a, it's sort of like how convenience and security are often at odds. Um, privacy and data collection are very much <laughs> at odds. Um, yeah. And so I, I like these, this academic innovation to try to find new ways to let companies ask specific questions of their users without compromising the other things. Yeah, I'm, I'm all that I really care about right now, especially because the, the higher order mathematics involved are way, way beyond me, right? We're, we're both pundits. We're not experts. But all I I'm, I'm really care about is that uh, people in tech seem interested in solving this problem and a growing number of consumers seem like they're willing to put pressure on these organizations that these problems both technological and societal and legal be 
not necessarily, I don't want to say solved, but different, right? Like we, Mm -hmm. we all seem to agree that things could be better. So let's try something new. And, and that's, I, that's really the thing that kind of fills me with hope about this is that (laughs) the companies are the companies and there's no reason that Apple couldn't say, you know what? Privacy is really not paying off. We're done with all that privacy investment. But as long as it keeps making them money, they're not likely to turn their back on it. Just like Google's not likely to turn their back on what they're doing or Facebook or Microsoft or any other business. So we need that consumer pressure. And, you know, God bless Edward Snowden. A lot of that consumer pressure, if it exists at all, is coming from him. So I'm I'm optimistic that smart people are trying to solve these problems, even if it's for very capitalist consumery reasons that just happen to align with good moral behaviors. But you know, you gotta, you take the good, you take the bad and it, and it. Well, this differential privacy stuff, I kind of wonder if it's sort of like encryption where, um, even if I'm like, oh, Facebook, I totally trust Facebook. I don't trust Facebook. No one trusts Facebook. If, even if I totally did, if I if they were using this kind of privacy tactic, I wouldn't have to trust them because they wouldn't be able to reassemble profiles of the data they collect. And so it's sort of like, hey, you love Company X. You don't care that they take everything about you. Will you still love them in 30 years or 20 years when a different regime will be in charge <laughs> and maybe they have different views of how they use the data they collected and sort of like the, the most private data is the data you never shared. But. <laughs> <laughs> the best secret is the secret you never told. This is frustrating because there's so much more to unpack here and I really want to keep going with it. But let's talk about video games. Yeah, let's let's move on. I'll, I'll admit my last point was kind of fuddy um, and I don't mean to throw it, that out but but it's it's a valid one right i mean mark zuckerberg will probably not be at the helm forever i mean christ bill gates left microsoft like if bill gates left microsoft then you don't know who's going to be running the show <laughs> so i'm gonna just kind of relax lean back in my chair i'm actually standing but i'm going to metaphorically lean back <laughs> in my chair and let you just your excitement about Zelda wash over me. <laughs> uh, well, it's mostly because I'm a Nintendo fanboy, and I know Nintendo is is on hard times. They're 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 damn near irrelevant to non fans. Um, you know, the console game is really Sony versus Microsoft, and PC gamers just sit on their mountaintop and laugh down <laughs> <laughs> at the what the, the those mortals are fighting over. And Nintendo's over here saying, we're not even going to talk about our system or any other games, and we're just going to show you Zelda. All of E3 is Zelda. Zelda is the thing we make right now. <laughs> Zelda, Zelda, Zelda. We are renaming <laughs> the company to Zelda. We are now a company that produces Zelda. And this new Zelda is probably the most dramatically different looking Zelda game since uh, Ocarina of Time. Um, And, you know, aside from being 3D, you could argue Ocarina was really still in the same template. You know, annoying town stuff, cruel dungeons, you know, threes and sevens of different numbers (laughs) of things to collect. (laughs) Yeah, the the Zelda formula. And it's a formula I love, and I will probably play to my grave if that's all they wanted to ship over and over. I would probably still keep <laughs> buying it. Um, but this is this is more like Zelda Scrolls, like it's it's almost like a Skyrim, but still weird Japanese with a like a a Studio Ghibli art style. And uh, yeah, it's it's very cell shaded, but there's also like Link looks a little bit more. He's not as pointy. Yeah, like I don't know any other way. Well, it's to say not it. minimalist, even though it's cell shaded. Yeah, that's true. It, it's still a, a high level of detail. And there's like there's some intrigue to it. It's not like Zelda's kind of always been weird, but kind of firmly like it's almost never technological. I know some of Twilight Princess was like weird, dark world, almost technology type stuff. But um, there's there's like you you almost feel like you're in a of a distant future where everything's been destroyed, but there's remnants of advanced technology. Um, there's like a scene where he's got, you like get a Wii tablet <laughs> like <laughs> early in the game. It's basically, he picks up the tablet and like the map shows up and you're like, huh? I, and <laughs> I see what you're doing then, Nintendo. <laughs> but they, they work that in like, there's like this magnet power and he's like picking up beams and dropping them and creating platforms where there weren't any. And like, there's, there's a very like Minecraft, Skyrim, like there's a lot of 
Um, clearly, they're adapting to modern game design with Zelda, um, but they're retaining so much of the magical weirdness of Zelda at the same time. So it's, it's just like, hey, that thing I love, and it's not stuck in the past. <laughs> this is very interesting. And I, I mean, I have a love-hate with open-world games. I usually like games that give you freedom but are still very structured. Like Deus Ex is one of my favorite games of all time. And it's like, hey, you got to go into this warehouse. There are a lot of ways to get into this warehouse, but you're going into this warehouse. And uh, that slight focus lets them still make a really good story, even though you aren't totally strung along playing a you know a, a quick-time action like Shenmue thing. Don't you think the... the- the promise of an open world game is almost always completely conflated with freedom and the freedom to walk around and ignore the main story is not the same as the freedom to do other things that are not the main story. And I mean, there's, there's lots of open world games where it's like, yeah, you can just not go to the next glowing, you know, point on the map where, where you press a to advance the story. But if you don't, there's nothing to do. No yeah. one will talk to you about anything except the next story point. So it's like having, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like the ability to, to influence the world around you. It's an A word. It'll come to me. Having, <laughs> having agency, having aardvark. having aardvark about uh, like how you get into the warehouse, I think is almost more valuable than saying like, well, you don't, you can just wander around and maybe never go into the warehouse, but the game yeah, will come to a grinding halt. Cause then you're like, it's sort of like, well, you make the game. I didn't like, <laughs> I'm not buying this to create a game. <laughs> Even if I want choices presented to me. Um, but anyway, so I'm part of me is like, uh, oh, it's open world. You're going to like love it for five hours and never touch it again. Cause you're going to lose the, the the hunger for the main plot thread <laughs> but then i'm like eh, this is this is zelda like maybe there'll be some magical hybrid that um we'll see how it comes out the art style really does look like a miyazaki like maybe it's a common ancestor japanese art like i'm, I'm sure they aren't like watching princess mononoke on loop while they design this <laughs> game but <laughs> no i just oh god i wish i could remember where i heard it but i just heard someone say that uh you know you've really made it when like your name or your product or whatever becomes like the Kleenex or the iPod, like the, the <laughs> yeah. default name. So it's like, did Miyazaki invent that art style? Absolutely not. But he's kind of known for it anyway. Like he sort of owns that whole like, oh, you made something beautiful. That's very Studio Ghibli. <laughs> it's yeah. like he doesn't he didn't invent beauty. <laughs> But literally every frame of his movies are poster worthy, pretty much. <laughs> oh yeah, no the 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 team of animators. I assume it must be like the highest burnout because <laughs> anything that is not absolutely perfect, that person is probably fired and never allowed to work in animation again. But do you think uh, any of the the controversy around the comments that were made? uh on link being a woman like is that even discussion worthy or is that just so cringe we can we can talk about i mean (laughs) long story short someone asked nintendo can you play as a female link and their answer was awful um they really bad they rambled about how that's not the way zelda works that's just not the way it is and it just came back to it just basically dogma 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 this zelda is not that zelda is not that and there was like some uh, extra infuriating was they gave like a really dumb in-universe reason like well it's like he's the triforce of courage and uh, zelda is the triforce of wisdom and ganon is the power and that's you can never change that we don't have writers there's no <laughs> one writing this it's it was handed down from the gods as the only story we're allowed to tell funny you should say that because <laughs> When I, and I'll, I'll try and find an article uh, that I, the article I read or, or a clip of this and put it into the show notes. But uh, someone way more familiar with Legend of Zelda Hyrule Historia stuff than I was uh, pointed out that the Triforce was actually created by goddesses. And yeah. it seems unlikely that they would have baked into the way the universe functions that two of the three pieces had to be held by men. 
<laughs> and also nowhere in the lore is it that Link has to hold one piece and Zelda has to hold one and Ganon has to hold one. That's just what keeps happening. Yeah. So yeah, their their response, even their attempt at an in-universe response is I mean that it's just thinly veiled, like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Link is a boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh. And I mean, Nintendo gave us one of the best female badass heroes of all time in Samus. And I mean, they tried to ruin it when Team Ninja got to make a Metroid game <laughs> and they turned her into a weak, submissive, awful character. Um, but it's like, come on, like there's you, like you can just say, hey, we're not going to do that. But don't pretend like there's some rule in the game that's preventing you. The devil made us make him a man. Sorry, that's. So l- let's let's do something incredibly dangerous and play devil's advocate with this. They basically, and by they I mean Nintendo, they basically have like what three or four franchises that make them money. I mean, they have Mario, they have Zelda, they had Metroid, but they don't do anything with it anymore. <laughs> um, and Pokemon, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, they have some other successful games. Like, there's Brawl, but I mean, a new Brawl comes out only every few years. There or not Brawl, it's sorry, Star Smash Fox, Brothers. and it's pretty minor. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there are other games that make them money, but not with the reliability of Super Mario and and Pokemon. So, is there a chance that they are just so terrified of doing anything that would make fans? turn their nose up at, at a new Legend of Zelda that they're like, no, because there are some interesting gameplay things we want to do and we're afraid two changes will prevent you from buying the game. Yeah. Like, like we can either change the characters or we can change the gameplay and we're more interested in do in pushing the boundaries of gameplay than pushing the boundaries of these social things. I am grasping at straws so very <laughs> hard. I'm just wondering, like, because there's so much talk about how, like, Nintendo's doomed and they're on their way out. I think our very first episode was called Nintendo is Doomed. <laughs> it was, episode zero, because <laughs> we were right. indexing stupidly. <laughs> um, but do you, do you think that could be... Because that's not the kind of thing they're going to admit on stage, right? They're going to dance around saying, yeah. like, we're terrified you're going to stop buying this. I mean, do you, do you think that they think of Zelda, like like Indiana Jones, like if someone went up to Spielberg and Lucas and were like, but what if in the next movie, Indiana Jones was a woman? And they're like, that's not Indiana Jones. <laughs> um, or is that a fair comparison? It's not, because they created a universe in which each of these games happens dozens or hundreds of years apart. And, it's and they're not different the people. <laughs> yeah, and they're different people. I mean, it's essentially the Doctor. Like, when I became a fan of Doctor Who you immediately wonder like, oh, when is the doctor's next regeneration going to be like a woman or black or a black woman or not look like a human at all? Because <laughs> he's not a human. He's not Which even the, he. The, the Green Lantern universe has totally gotten right, um, at least with uh, racial diversity. Um, and all there, the different. Yeah, the Lantern Corps has female or what we humans would consider female yeah. green lanterns but i think that species the hu- diversity too so yeah but i think the humans have there's a couple of white ones and at least one or two that are black but th- this is if you bake into the universe link is it like a title right like buffy the yeah. vampire slayer is like the, the slayer symbol. yeah so it's, <laughs> if, if that's like a title you get for magic reasons then i don't think the magic title of you saving the world cares about your genitals. <laughs> I maybe I'm wrong. I've never had yeah. to magically imbue someone to save the world. So, um, and I mean, maybe there's deep seated misogyny in Nintendo, but part of me just wonders if it is sort of like, even though their universe doesn't give weight to this argument, they feel like, no, it's Indiana Jones. Like there can be female characters, but it's Indiana Jones. Don't like, we're not just going to put a wig on them. And, um, I don't know if that's a valid argument. It still feels stupid. Like, I'm not defending it. Like, hey, give us a female. Like, it's a precog. Like, there's, like, even Minority Report had gender diversity with the precogs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my my challenge would be, because I do, although I think it's a pretty flimsy argument, I do agree in in most cases with the, we're not going to just put Indiana Jones in a wig. Like, 
Indiana Jones can have a daughter who grows up to be exactly like Indiana Jones and goes by the moniker Indiana Jones, but we all know it's his daughter, not him. But in the Zelda universe, you don't have that because it's yeah. not the same person. So my, my counter t- would be like, well, then maybe it's time to make a game starring Zelda. Yeah. You know, the namesake. <laughs> and I know they tried and all that, but, you know. And maybe their hero's journey myth in that universe can flip on its head for once. And I mean, Zelda's been stronger in some of the games, but she's never been the protagonist. Um, In Wind Waker, she was a pirate and she basically gets your whole adventure started for you. So she was was very active in that game and wasn't just, well, she does get damseled later, but we don't have to turn this into a a femme frequency video. I, I I think it's the, it's playable character. Having strong yeah, female totally. or black or you know any anything besides white twenty five year old male like having <laughs> having any kind of strong minority or not frequently depicted character in a game is good, but it's it's different when they become the playable character. That's the character. Totally. No, not even playable. The player character. Like if you want to play this game, you have to play as a black lesbian transgendered woman because that's the story we're telling right you can't choose to be a straight white blonde guy like you have to play <laughs> this character so that's i don't know i mean we went way off the rails here so like yeah. what well other... you did remind me that the the next watchdogs 2 has a black protagonist which is surprisingly also pretty rare um in games it is yeah no i mean it's especially since the modern era it's it's uh, it's guys who look like me. It's it's white guy, not clean shaven, shaved head, like <laughs> with a messenger bag on, and jeans. Like, um, which you know for me is great because I can pick any game up off the shelf, and there's a character that looks like me. And for like literally more than half the world, that's not so good. I think that's why lots of less charitable people like us get so weirded out by representation questions because they've been we are embarrassed with riches of representation (laughs) in all the media ever and so it's not a big deal why do you care so much hey i never get to look on the screen and see myself shut up like um i i I think you really do have to get that empathy to understand why people care about this and i hope nintendo like even if they never make Link Linkle in the next one, um, I do think uh, they should invest in some more stronger, diverse characters. Um, I love Samus. I would love a new Metroid. I take my money, please, <laughs> and don't let Team Ninja near it because they are obsessed with boobs in all of their games, and we just don't. We don't need more of that cliche about gamers happening. So you you did watch a fifty six minute playthrough, which is linked in the show notes here. Um, was there anything that stood out to you where you were like excited about it, or that seemed like a new, interesting gameplay mechanic? I know there's something with the uh, the amiibos that's involved. Uh, I I don't really like amiibos other than that I like collecting <laughs> things, so I really hope I don't have to use them. Um, uh, I like that you know it looks like. They're taking some of the one, like, you know, Assassin's Creed. You climb up and you you look from the eagle's eye view and then you get a map. And they're doing a little bit of that, but in a Nintendo way where it's not like, hey, here's a map full of icons to chase and you have to do this. And here's a a mission where you have to follow someone and it's the worst thing ever created in a video game. (laughs) Has any game besides Assassin's Creed ever been more like waypoint the video game like that game is just about waypoints that's the story yeah. of the game is waypoints um but one of the things that uh Aonuma has been saying a lot is like he, there was a lot of existential dread he felt in opening the game world and just literally letting people go where they want because he was so worried people would get lost or bored or any of that kind of it's like the control freak is really a comfortable place for them in the Zelda series. It's always been a control freak kind of game design, and it's awesome. But um, I think he he talked about how the fact that there's so many places to climb up and survey the land, which is also very beautiful in the game, uh, kind of put his mind at ease of just like, they're going to be okay. They're just like, if they don't know where they are, there's going to be something 
to climb, and it's not a waypoint. It's not Assassin's Creed. It's just <laughs> the mere fact that Link can traverse this way. And I have to wonder if you get some cool power-ups in the game to make that happen really fast or easily. Um, that could be really cool. And I think some of the, like, just trusting that they they know good game design. Like, even the most tedious Zelda game, like The Sailing and Wind Waker, which I'm not a fan of, um, in the remake you can get the double speed sale. And I think they know that <laughs> to do those things. So isn't, isn't this also the first one he's going to be able to jump in? Yeah, you actually have a jump button. So you can jump and climb. Like, Well, I, first is, is hard because Link's Awakening, you got the rocks feather, you could actually jump. Um, but it's pretty rare in Zelda. And even Link to the Past, it's really, there's no jumping. I mean, you can hop off of ledges, but it's an automatic thing at specific ledges. Well, and there are puzzles in Link to the Past that rely on you jumping like into a hole. So yeah. presumably, unless their des- game designers have gone completely mad, adding climbing and jumping means there are going to be puzzles that are going to require you to climb and jump, which yeah. means we will have puzzles we have never seen a version of in Zelda before. Yeah, and it reflects the the open game design because before they couldn't... If they gave you climbing and jumping powers in Zelda, you would be noticing how many barriers you can't cross a million <laughs> times more and That's how even, even more sandbox, walled garden the Zelda game design was. And um, I don't know. Like I'm interested to see if they can make an open world game that I play to 100% completion. And I know this is like... It's sort of like, hey, I, I, I don't like this type of game. Make me like it is like a weird demand. <laughs> <laughs> I demand to be impressed. Uh, but I kind of think, you know, the, the way Nintendo is willing to spend four years on a game the same way Naughty Dog is, you usually get something that's just so well-baked, uh, especially for a core franchise like Zelda. Well, and I, I mentioned the you know, open world doesn't automatically mean you have agency and a closed world doesn't automatically mean you don't have agency. Yeah. Open world doesn't also automatically mean scope, right? Like it could be open world, but not so expansive and so deep that you feel overwhelmed by all the freedom, right? It's not necessarily Fallout yeah. or Skyrim. And that's, that's true. I, I don't know. I kind of trust Nintendo to get that right. Even though it's the first time they're doing it in a Zelda game, I still kind of feel like they usually have a pretty good handle on on like scope and how long should this game take to beat? And if you're going to be a completionist, how long should that take to beat? Like they, they usually have that pretty clear in their minds because they know the yeah. exact target audience they're going after. So... If it's like this giant world with a billion side quests and you could play for a hundred hours and never get past like the prologue, that would not seem <laughs> it could be fun, but it that's another way of saying like that's not Zelda. Like, yeah. like if if I could get so lost that I have no interest in like defeating evil and destroying Ganon, like that would feel weird because from the second you start a Zelda game, you're like, I'm going to murder that pig man. Like, (laughs) you know what your objective is and you go more or less straight toward it. Maybe you go a little bit off to like get an extra item or two, but you, you have like a clear goal in mind. These three pendants or necklaces or (laughs) crystals and those maidens are going to be rescued. Exactly. Um, Yeah. I, I think you put it well, like that, subjective but like somehow feels concrete like will it still be zelda is like it's open world it's different than any zelda they've ever made but will i still have that like oh yeah this is zelda (laughs) kind of thing i mean watching i only watched i think a like five or ten minute video and i still got the impression i was like i'm i'm gonna find a way to play this like because when twilight princess came out which i've still never played uh, I've still never played uh, the one with the terrifying moon. Um, Majora's Mask. Ma- yeah, Majora's Mask. Uh, but like when Twilight Princess came out, I had access to multiple GameCubes. I had friends that had Wiis. Like I could have gone and played it in any of these places. And I was just like, eh, wait, you like turn into a dog? Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, so should we move on? I mean, I, I did have a little interlude about um, games you replay over and over because I made the mistake of launching Final <laughs> Fantasy Tactics. You mean you and, you did the right thing with your life of launching <laughs> Final Fantasy Tactics? But I, it's we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, it's on my mind this week because I think it's the longest game that I play over and over. Like, there's a lot of short games I play over and over. Super Metroid, Link to the Past. Like, you can beat those games in hours. Um, but, man, tactics, you can easily spend 30 or 40 hours on a, a playthrough. Oh, for sure. And I I think as I've gotten older and, you know, now that I have kiddos and my my list of, like, games, books, and movies that I revisited, like, every year is now, like every 18 to 24 months maybe <laughs> but final fantasy tactics is never it's never far down the list like no matter how many like i have uncharted 4 you let me borrow i have uh, bravely second that i'm still working on but the idea of sitting down right now and playing final fantasy tactics seems perfectly reasonable <laughs> there is no I cannot come up with a good reason that that would not bring joy into my life, even though yeah. I played that game like 30 times. <laughs> I did see a good meme about how Cloud is in the game. It was said playable in Final Fantasy Tactics, and then the bottom of the meme just said sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he is he, pretty terrible in it. <laughs> I think, didn't they make him a little bit better in War of the Lions, or does he still suck? That game is, that game is just a bum rush to get to Orlando, unless you're <laughs> specifically not playing an Orlando build. <laughs> Is there any other true build? <laughs> There's the uh, Cocobo, Chocobos only build. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yellow so, Chocobos only build. <laughs> so here's here's a legit question about when you replay Tactics, since you revisit it so often. Do you make it a point to try things you haven't tried before, or do you just want to sink into the familiar warm blanket and like... <laughs> You you the you know the main character plays the same classes. You do this the levels the same way. Your battle strategy is always the same. Or once in a while, are you like you know what six Dancers. calculators? <laughs> I'm gonna do six calculators. Um, I I I get a weird enjoyment out of firing people because <laughs> they send you these really sad messages like, oh, I thought we were working together. Oh, I guess not. <laughs> like you fired. That is dark, man. You're dark. <laughs> even, even the chocobos give you like a sad goodbye message of like, I thought we were getting along. <laughs> yeah, the sad quay noise or whatever. <laughs> um, to answer your question, um, this time I'm doing a lot of like, weirdly, everyone's always the same class at the same time, just because you get a splash effect on all your, your job point gathering. If, if you have fellow. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I don't remember um, that. And so it's just like, hey, we're just, just like, here's a, f a bunch of archers. Here we go. <laughs> here's um, my team of white mages. No, I mean, I mostly just sink back into the comfort, but I'm kind of, I'm grinding it more than normal. I'm not just, like, I don't care about the story anymore. Like, I'm skipping through that as fast as possible. And in fact, the, the between chapter things are, have a set speed and it's very slow and you can't advance it. You can't skip it. I hate that on replay. It's the worst <laughs> thing. Um, but I'm I'm really just enjoying the the grinding and like, haha! I got counter tackle for everyone immediately. Like that. <laughs> well, I mean the game the gameplay is just genuinely fun. It's just crack, man. <laughs> so when you you do these replays, uh, are you like you're not hardcore? You don't play like the black PS1 disc. No, but it is the PS1 version because it doesn't have laggy spell casting, uh, which drives me crazy on the War of the Lions version. Was the War of the Lions version bad or was it just bad on PSP? It's Well, I'm playing on the Vita. I actually have both versions digitally and um, it's it's fine. It's, it's 16 by 9, so it fills your screen better, um, but every single spell gets choppy and slow and, and just... Like, uh, it just infuriates me. I'm sure porting games is hard, and I don't want to make light of the work and effort that people put in to do these remasters, but can you not make things that were already fine worse? 
Like they they did the same kind of sloppy nonsense in the PS1 era when they were like, let's bring all these Super Nintendo games. Oh, I can't play any of those versions. Completely unplayable. Oh, you want to go to your menu? (laughs) Here's this five second pause. Oh, you want to make a sandwich? Just go ahead and open the menu and then you have an hour and a half. You know, just that thing you do a million times during a Final Fantasy playthrough. (laughs) Oh, God, it's so awful. Could you imagine, like, any time you wanted to go to your home screen on your your device that it took that long? (laughs) That's uh, basically what owning a Wii U is like. (laughs) (laughs) This is my life. Uh, I, I So you're playing on the Vita, but you're playing the PS1 version. Yeah. Which is kind of staggering to me that that's even an option. So you were yeah. able to buy, buy a digital copy of the unremastered game. Well, I already owned it because it's cross. I owned it for PS3 digitally, and they just uh, let you download it. Okay, that that makes a lot more sense. So th- this was, but even then, wouldn't that have been post War of the Lions? Yeah. Huh. And I, I mean, I own War of the Lions too because I'm a glutton for rebuying games. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just surprised that Sony. Or Square, whoever owns the rights, would be like, yeah, we'll just put both of these out there and <laughs> let some crazy guy in Denver buy it twice. <laughs> uh, that reminds me that 3DS just got a bunch of Super Nintendo games like Super Metroid and Link to the Past, and they are $7.99, even though I already own them on <laughs> two other Nintendo platforms. And this time, I'm, I'm like putting my foot down. I'm not buying Super Metroid again, ever. No. Um, I'm sorry, Nintendo. You need to figure out what every other platform on Earth did, which is one account no matter how many platforms you have. Well, and you've got to have literally six ways to play Super Metroid right now. Like, right right this minute. And five of them are legal. (laughs) (laughs) Facebook hates number four. Um, I am am really tempted to buy Raspberry Pi and do, like, the little MAME cabinet. Yeah. Not just because that would be super cool to have that hooked up to like the big TV and to have a dedicated controller, but I want to put it in like an adorable little Lego housing or something. Like part part of the fun of having a Raspberry Pi is putting it into a cute housing. So I didn't get to follow E3 because uh, between you know like being an adult with a job and WWDC stuff, um, I had to kind of play a little catch up after the fact, but. Uh, I had no idea. I had heard no rumors. I saw no tweets uh, that there's a new God of War coming for PS4. Yeah. And, and there's a beard involved. There is a beard. <laughs> he looks a lot like a guy I know. I need to send him like a memed up <laughs> side by side. Uh, minus, you know, the red tattoos and stuff. But he, uh, in 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 the game, he's like a father figure I didn't get the clear indication from the <laughs> clip that I saw if he is this boy's father or stepfather, but that doesn't, you know, he, he has like a family. He's sort of settled down again. And and you and I have both gone on at great length about how the, the God of War games are fun, but it, there is also like a lot of really obvious, horrible, unnecessary, like violence towards women and yeah. just like gruesome weird like you're either murdering women to stop like wheels in a machine from turning or you are plowing strangers for like extra points so that's and then your character has comments in game laughing at the then mangled woman like yeah wow yeah so there's definitely things about that game that are, are less than progressive but i mean i still enjoy playing those kinds of like you know press x as fast as you can to murder things harder like those kinds of games can be enjoyable um and i i'm pretty sure i've played all of them right there were one and two then three was on the ps3 and then there was a a portable one so i I think i'm actually caught up on the franchise but the thing that this is really the only thing i care about that there's a new one is i've had this theory and i may have mentioned it on the show before but just to make sure we're all on the same page here i had had this like dream fan theory that the end of the God of War franchise would be since he gets powers from the gods every time he kills them and he's killing all of them, he would then have all of their powers and that would be like the crazy alternate universe birth of monotheism. Like <laughs> like a mortal literally kills all of the old gods and becomes the new 
single god that you know like modern you know worshipers worship and i thought that would be a really dark and deep kind of like twisted <laughs> version of like the the monotheistic origin story um and in in obviously god of war 3 does not end that way it kind of could since he's like looking over a ruined world and it's like well maybe a new like race rises from this and they worship kratos but in <laughs> in the like 10 minute trailer i watched which i'll i'll have to find and and throw into the show notes cuz it's it's a very pretty looking game uh he he's with this this boy and they go out and they're hunting and and it's all like father son it's kind of like uh it's very reminiscent of like the hercules stories where he tries to reacclimate to society cuz the kid makes a mistake and kratos like Kratos is at him and <laughs> it's it's kind of like you really shouldn't yell at a kid quite that aggressively maybe dial it back a little bit but then he tries to like rein it in and he's like no I have to be a better person this is not war anymore and and it's like oh there's gonna be this interesting dynamic and then at the end of the clip spoilers at the end of the clip uh his son steps on whatever says something and he's like, for a new beginning. And the camera kind of pans back and you see the cliffside that they're right next to. And off in the distance, you see a dragon. And I don't remember any English European style dragons being in the other God of War games. But I'm now I'm I'm like reinvigorated with hope that they are playing the super long game on my fan theory. <laughs> and now they're going to have several games about him killing all of like the the mysticism that was around in like the Dark Ages. So like he has to medieval God of War. <laughs> yeah, he has to kill like dragons and like, I don't know, leprechauns and unicorns and, shit and, <laughs> and, and like and, and get rid of like that whole pantheon. And they could just keep doing this. Well, like he could then. If all go, the Norse gods, do, so Shiva and Ifrit yeah, and all that can. <laughs> yeah, they could do prequels where he has to kill all the Egyptian gods. Like there's there's dozens and dozens of games left to be had here if they want to bear out. <laughs> there are a lot crazy, of religions. <laughs> there are a lot, and and a lot of them are like pantheistic tons. You, you know, very much like Greek yeah. mythology. So this this is like, I know it's really silly, but I still think it would be a, a cool and interesting final twist if the last thing is in this alternate universe where the Greek gods were like real people, the the Jesus Christian God character that these modern people worship is Kratos, you the player. Like that. that <laughs> and then Xenogears happens. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think Kratos becomes a programmer and creates Kratos. Um, and that's the end. <laughs> I feel like we you just you we just had that very just... passionate explanation of your fan theory, and I was just like, "Here's like a really stupid joke." <laughs> did, <laughs> did you watch the trailer? No, I just saw a, a screenshot of bearded Kratos. Okay, it's it's a it's a good looking game. It's kind of a little bit more uh, open worldy and a little more, the camera's like a little bit more over the shouldery since it's not yeah. like set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. You kind of have to follow Kratos like through the woods and yeah. through a cave. So I don't know. I'm, I'll honestly, if I have time at some point in the future, I can imagine sitting down and pressing X a bunch of times until everything <laughs> on the screen has stopped moving. Like that's, I do find those kinds of gaming interactions to be at least a little bit enjoyable. You, it can be kind of therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you played through all of them, right? Or at least the, the console ones? I played through a lot of the first one, and then I never quite got through any of the yeah. other ones. Well, those are games I actually have. So if you want, I, I could actually loan you a game, and you could play through it. All right, you ready to put a bow on this? Absolutely. So as always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash one, two, four for the 12 and fourth episode as Mike is now committed to saying for the rest of his life. <laughs> we both love feedback. Uh, you can find us most easily on the Twitters. I am at Lions in Beta and Mike, you are? 
M. No, I'm not M. Edwards. <laughs> you are not I'm that guy. Michael. <laughs> I'm relapsing. Pseudo Michael. S U D O Michael. Yeah, that guy. That's the new guy you are. Um, but you can also join us in our Reddit community. There'll be a link in the show notes, but it's just r slash flipping tables where we post every episode and we try and go back and, and have interesting discussions about things we didn't get to go into or, or thoughts that have occurred to us since the episode aired. And uh, we've also started putting the alternate show titles, the the show titles that never were into uh, the Reddit community as well. So if you want to see what might have been, uh, definitely go check that out. Uh, if you are still listening in a web browser, we love you. We're glad you're here. But you can make your life a lot easier by just pressing that little old subscribe button or downloading and opening up a podcatcher and searching for Flipping Tables or even Sunrise Robot. Because as far as I know, all the major podcatchers will actually surface any of our shows if you search for Sunrise Robot. So that's cool. And that makes your life easier and better. And being subscribed helps other people find the shows and search. It's just it's a win all around. Uh, If you want to support us a little bit more directly, you can go into iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. That helps people find the show as well, plus it gives us the warm fuzzies. And then if you want to be really direct, you can actually go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars right to the network. And depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of Flipping Tables or even all the shows on Sunrise Robot. And with that... I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Female Link Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. We love you all so much, we could not do it without you. See you next week. See you next week. See you next week.